A young couple on the verge of a nasty breakup become trapped in their isolated vacation home by three psychotic intruders hell-bent on scaring them to death. Their car is destroyed, their phones are stolen, and they have no way out of the house in the 2008 home invasion horror flick, The Strangers. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Kale Lejay. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome back to the Filmgasm podcast. Our random picks continue with a cult favorite from 2008, The Strangers. This is my second time watching this and I did I liked it much better this time, but there are still some some uh some minor beefs I've got with the movie. But I know you're a, you're a big fan of this one. God, you don't need minor beefs. You just need to embrace all that is the movie. Um no, yeah, I adore this one. This is one of the most and to me, intense gripping, just realistic home invasion uh, films. And I like, and we'll get into it, but I love how there's, he knows how to do jump scares. He knows how to do scares that you're, you're not jumping, but like, it's creepy how he frames shots and has things where you see characters in the background that you see as an audience member, but they don't see it. And it's just terrifying. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, admittedly, this is mainly the only Brian Portino film I think I've enjoyed. I've not mainly enjoyed a lot of his post Strangers work. Um. I do really like this. I really enjoy the sequel. Um, that'll be for another day. And then apparently, if if it is true from producer Roy Lee, they're filming three more movies. That sounds like we're gonna be a lot of dilution in this franchise. I don't know. There's very few part fives that are any good. I Strangers was not one I was really expecting a whole franchise out of, but I mean, if this is true, I mean, he also said he has news regarding Friday 13th as a franchise, like good good news coming our way, so you better not be talking out his ass. Well, when it comes to the Strangers, I get it. I mean, you know, it's, it's cheap, it's profitable, and you can make a shit ton of them. It's, you just change different locations and, you know, keep the same basic story you can make a shit ton of these i get that yeah yeah i mean and it just depends on you because like the sequel you know smartly knew okay people have seen the first one most people have seen us have seen the first one they know who these guys are let's change it up and they they played it like whereas this one was like deathly serious and very somber and like all that stuff the sequel has like a lot more fun it's a lot more um embraces the slasher elements a little bit more it changes its locale it starts to have a lot more fun with it they say like you look it's almost like hey you know who these guys are we're not gonna try to rebuild them we're just going to have a little bit more fun with this concept and do things that we know like for those who already watched first one can enjoy it that's good but also i can see why some people would be kind of like well this isn't what i expected you know Mm -hmm. there's a downside to doing that yeah, I, I get what some people are getting from. But like for me, I was all in. I mean, I will never forget. Like, and he still found ways to make odes to the original film. Like, those are great sequence where like this kid finds like a pool that it takes place at a trailer park, and then I guess there's like a community pool there. And he's like just kind of catching his breath there, and you see behind him in the background because it does a big old wide shot, and you just see in the background one of the strangers running. At him full sprint, and he doesn't see it, and he just he hits him into the pool, and it's this big fight scene. It's a really neat um <laughs> shot. That's cool. I'll have to check out part two um at some point. 
Uh, before we get started, officially, I know we've already gotten started, but yeah, I've got two questions for you. So first up, as we kind of pointed out a bit with the strangers, the home invasion subgenre is usually pretty reliable if you're looking for good content and for producers, if they want to make cheap content that usually gets the return, this is a, it's a good way to go. Do you enjoy this subgenre? And if so, what are some of your favorites therein? Yeah, for the most part, I really do enjoy uh, this subgenre. Um, I just think it's like, it's taking that idea of like, you know, the home for a lot of people is the safest place, right? And that's just where you go after your long day of work, after you, you you just had a rough day. I mean, you know, for us after like a six hour drive to and back from DC, mm-hmm. you know, get back to the house, to just finally sleep and rest. Right. And so we put ourselves in this sense of um, comfort, this false sense of security, right. When we're home. Um, and I mean, the stuff about you've seen my place, you know, I got a ring camera. I was like, you know, we put things to try to make us feel safe. And so when that gets shattered, like these films show that, um, it creates a very horrifying scenario because now you're facing one something that it could happen. You know, it could happen to anyone, unfortunately. Um, so you're, it's very realistic, and it's just that it's that sense of security being shattered. I think is what I like about it so much. Um, it's a very risky. I want to say risky. I mean, it's been done to death now, but you know, it's a, it was a risky thing when they first started doing it. Um, as far as some favorites other than the strangers. Um, there's one good, oh, there's a foreign one I watched called Funny Games. Um, they remade it to an English with the same title, same director, um, but really, really good film. Um, solid movie. Um, there's uh, other ones like Martyrs is a little, has a little bit of home invasion elements that are really, really, um, neat. And, you know, the story goes places. Um, even something like, you know, Last House on Left's later half when they quote unquote get in there. Um, a more recent one actually would be Don't Breathe as a personal favorite of mine, mainly because it flips it and takes side of the home invasion and flips it completely on its head. You know, it says like, hey, here's the same thing you're used to and you expect. But now he's actually capable and he's hunting them. And, you know, it, I know for some people, obviously, I know, I think you're one of them that like it gets into that who was on board or not when it hits a certain scene in that movie. I know you're the ones that gets off board at that point. I'm one that stays on board. But um, it is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, so yeah, those be some that I enjoy. Did you see Don't Breathe too? Did you ever get around to that? Yeah, I don't. I less said about that fucking movie the better. Yeah, yeah, I didn't care for that. Um, yeah, all good, all good picks there. Um, I would want to shout out um Hush. I Hush was good. That was oh, really- you're next. I forgot about your next. Your next was really good too. Yeah, I always like when there's like a little something different, like you know. Somebody in the house can kick ass or somebody's got a disability that makes them a lot more vulnerable. It always adds a much needed layer of you know difference to these films because it's hard for them to stand out because it is, you know, how, how many different ways can you do somebody trying to break into your house? Yeah. Uh, for me, the, like the, the granddaddy of this whole genre is Black Christmas. That's a, yeah. No one really thinks about it as that. But yeah. And then to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Is that movie just something? There's something about that one specifically. Just knowing, you know, there's somebody in the attic just picking people off. That is that is so disturbing and so creepy. And yeah, you, you never really know who the guy is. You just know the name Billy, but you don't know who the fuck this dude is or why he's doing this. All those obscene phone calls he's constantly making. Yeah, it's it's creepy. unnerving. 
it's it's you know it's, it brings back you know you mentioned the whole idea that you're safe in your home and when you're not safe in your home you're not safe anywhere it's, it's terrifying and then we got like you know home alone which is kind of usurped that whole thing and turned it into a family comedy yeah um but then there's stuff that i've turned it back to what is uh actually very when i watched this year you say it's there's something different um this little film called see for me it's on shutter now um but it takes the idea of like it's this person that can't see she's blind and um she's house sitting and sure enough people break in and she has to use this app card see for me and this person on the end played by um uh, the lady that plays barry allen's daughter on the flash um <laughs> She plays the the person on the other end of it that's helping her guide her around the house, you know, using the See For Me app. Um, Kim Coates pops up in it. He's if you you probably honestly, if you know anything about his career, you have an idea of why he's in the movie. Well, let's just be honest for ourselves. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's great. You you got to check out Sons of Anarchy. You would love that show. He's he's a he's a big character on that show he's like this psycho biker dude who's like it's kind of a redemption arc down the road it's a very cool character i've heard you think he was on a uh the movie career recently but i'm hearing joe lynch and i had to laugh because uh apparently he was getting a new fridge in the middle of the episode but he told the people that were doing it yeah he was like can you come at this time when i'm done with the podcast and they didn't at one point, you hear him go like, "Oh no, guys! Yeah, I just sat over there, not doing a podcast or anything. Not, not that I told you to come at a different time." <laughs> That's all. I love that he just kept going. He's just like, "Yeah, this is now part of the show." Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so yeah, the home invasion subgenre. It's you know, I think a lot of people can relate to it. A lot of people, you know, thought about, you know, prepared or dealt with that situation. So throwing that into horror just it, it it hits close to home for a lot more people than like you know boogeyman and demons and ghosts and shit so it's a more real palpable fear uh which goes into my second question which is very very simply what would you do if you were in this situation how would you handle it do whatever i can to hopefully live <laughs> if there's yeah, a obviously there's a- yeah, if there's a shot living, I'm gonna try to take it. Um one of the things that always kills me, man, is when in these movies they try to like have a hero moment, which I get you're gonna try to have that moment, they always pick the worst times. So I'm like, no, not now. They see you clearly getting ready to do something. For me, it's just like just run. Like, why do you need a car to get away? You run, the it's dark, they're not gonna see you. If you get into a you know, you get far enough, you're gonna be fine. Just fucking bolt yeah or like in 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 the strangers at one point when they're like in the car already and that they turn the hype the truck turns the hype on they're like oh what's it doing i'm like i don't give a shit what it's doing you're in the car it's on like just go the guy in front of them maybe you know hit the gas like you're being chased and ram that fucker into the garage (laughs) you got you know you got self-defense on your side go nuts there's yeah. just there's a lot of moments in The Strangers that I feel like the movie could have ended right there, but you know, obviously, you can't do that. Well, yeah, and that's where like I argue if you didn't like if you have your briefs, I really recommend you watch the sequel because they 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 take advantage of the fact that hey, it's a trailer park, let's play with it a bit more and get more yardage out of them, you know, doing their thing. Yeah, yeah, 
it's a, it's, it's just, you know, it's interesting to kind of place yourself in the situation and think like, could I have handled this better? Like, yeah, I mean, look, if it's funny games, no, you're not. I've seen funny games and there's I really, a point. I really want to see funny games. Dude, there's a point he rewinds the movie. Like it ends the way you want to. They do something smart, stop the killers. And the guy just goes, pause. And the movie just pauses. He's like, ah, I don't like how this is going. He grabs the remote and hits the rewind and the film rewinds so that they can do it the way they want. That is some crazy meta shit that I'm sure really flew over people's heads <laughs> when that came out. <laughs> That's awesome. I think my big one is like, I would try not to shoot my best friend in the fucking face. <laughs> like that, that was just kind of a what the hell moment. I have I have him in my notes as the golden god. <laughs> well, I love he's just like, hey, I'm here because you know how much I love fucking waiting hand on foot for you you motherfucker like he's already just like i'm here god damn it and yeah I, yeah we're gonna talk about why like i don't really know why glenn howard is in this but i love it was this was this during sunny's like height and fame or was this after sunny i think it started in 05 right i think so this was season three so right about when frank showed up yeah, she came on too. So this one was like growing in popularity. Yeah. That makes sense. You probably like, you know, bit part in a horror movie. Why not? <laughs> yeah. In case this show doesn't do well. And now that show's almost like season 15 or whatever the hell it's on. <laughs> now they can't escape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so The Strangers is the brainchild of writer director Brian Bertino, who also wrote the film sequel. And wrote and directed The Monster from 2016 and the Shutter exclusive film The Dark and the Wicked from 2020, which I wanted that to one, check out. That one was good. I enjoyed that one. Cool, cool, cool. It looked watched, very intriguing. Yeah, I watched it when um I was making the 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 move over to Virginia and they had taken all my the movers to come and taking all my shit and I needed stuff to watch. Like I watched like one night I watched the Mortuary Collection and like literally the night before I left I put on The Dark and the Wicked. <laughs> a great movie to watch right before you on a road trip. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to find some comfort in yeah <laughs> two violent ass horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Strangers was the third screenplay he'd written, and it was originally titled The Faces, which just doesn't really have the same vibe. It's like, what does that mean? Because they're wearing masks with faces on them, I guess. I guess I like yeah, Strangers Books, especially we'll get into it as we go talk more about the movie, but Strangers Books better with what he's trying to do with this. I agree. He said it was heavily inspired by um 70s thrillers, you know, Last House on the Left, Black Christmas. The Manson murders was a big influence, you know, the murder of Sharon Tate and all her friends, and incidents from his own childhood, which is pretty creepy. Yeah, I was you look it up. Do we have a story to tell? We do. Bertino recalls, quote, As a kid, I lived in a house on a street in the middle of nowhere. One night, while our parents were out, somebody knocked on the front door and my little sister answered it. At the door were some people asking for somebody who didn't live there. We later found out these people were knocking on doors in the area, and if no one was home, breaking into the houses. That is creepy as hell. And would absolutely inspire you know me to write something about it. So I'm glad he was able to channel that possibly traumatic experience into something artistic yeah no that's and that's insane what's crazy is with that right see in versus it wars in the movie obviously it's because they answered right yeah because it's funny because i which is like to me the real life is actually kind of creepier on that regard 
because I know for a fact anyone knocks my door and I'm not expecting like my food delivery or a package or something yeah. or someone being over, I won't answer my door. I look at my ring camera and go, nope. Like, I won't answer. So, like, I would have been one of those houses broken into because I will not answer if I don't know who the fuck's at my door. That, see, I just assume it's one of my neighbors being like, uh, could you please keep it, keep it down? Because that's happened to me several times. I just, I just tell them, if it's one of my neighbors, so well, leave a message at the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's the quandary. Like, you know, if you don't answer the phone, they might rob your house. Or if you don't answer the door, they might rob your house. If you do answer the door, they might rob your house. Like there's yeah. there's no way to win this one. <laughs> it's all depending on whether or not the person at the door is feeling a little adventurous today. <laughs> but yeah, creepy that like as a kid, you know, I mean, what if this guy decided like those are just there's just two kids in there. I could, t- you know, I could rob this house right now. But yeah, right. thankfully that didn't happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten the strangers. Right. I'm sure there's a Mr. Nightmare, Nightmare video out there somewhere about this. Oh, yeah. I could I can't watch that guy anymore. His stories are way too fucking real. And I I use Uber a lot. Like I, I don't I I can't I, if I keep watching his stuff, like I can't fly anymore. I can't go take I can't take road trips. I can't order shit. Like it's <laughs> everything goes away. I still watch his stuff religiously. It's creepy. It's the best some of the best horror content out there is Mr. Nightmare. I'll give him that. But it's just it, it got too spooky for me. You are a quitter, sir. Yeah. For the sake of literally all the stuff that I need to keep this life going, I, I quit. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Bertino was inspired by all that dark shit, wrote The Strangers, entered it into a screenwriting contest, won the contest, and it was bought by Universal, which has got to be just the dream. You have this little horror screenplay you wrote, put it in a contest, and Universal's like, I'll take it. Yeah, no, that's you don't hear about. I mean, at least it wasn't someone like Warner Bros. Am I right? Oh, <laughs> especially at that time, because you know, and that at that point we didn't really have Blumhouse or something. So it was like, if you got picked up for a horror film like this, like awesome, good job. So yeah, that's awesome that like Universal did this. I'm sure Universal wasn't end up being happy with the box office on this too. Well, it's interesting because they they tried to get rid of it before filming uh began and i'll get to that in a second weird uh for his two leads bertino went with Liv tyler for the role of Kristen, and scott speedman for the role of james fandy newton and charlie theron expressed interest in playing Kristen, but bertino wanted tyler from the start couldn't really find out why but he was like i want Liv tyler and i couldn't find anybody else who uh, was up against Scott Speedman. So I guess maybe he was the one and only choice, which is weird. I don't know how Scott Speedman, how people, did he just really like Underworld? See, like, I, 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 really like, like I feel like we've shit on Scott Speedman a lot on this show for no apparent reason. It's not that I hate the guy. <laughs> it's just like, it's a weird, it's weird when it comes to like him and acting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't see him doing enough for me to really have like a comment on his ability other than like an underworld the underworld film series, which he stopped being in, whether it was he just was like, Nope, I'm too good for this, or they just didn't ask him. Too good for this? <laughs> He's getting big in their britches. Um, uh, I think the real question is, have you ever seen Scott Speedman and Scott Stapp from Creed in the same room at the same time? Because they look fairly similar to me. 
The universe can't handle that. I feel like a lot of people named Scott get the same face. It's just fate. <laughs> Maybe Scott Spade can sing like him. Where the homes right open. If we ever get the Creed movie, I they know who to call. <laughs> to, play, to play Scott Stapp. <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, you got it. You got the part. Yeah, you can do that 90s thing. You got it. And that's not difficult. <laughs> um, Bertino did not intend to direct the film, but the original two choices, Justin Lin of the Fast and Furious movies and Mark Romanek of One Hour Photo, both dropped out. At that point, Universal was like, this, we're losing faith in this. So they passed the project down to one of their subsidiary companies, Rogue Pictures. And Rogue Pictures went to Bertino and asked him to direct the film, despite the fact that he had no prior experience as a director, which is so odd. That doesn't usually happen. Well, no, that's a that's a bold move, Con. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if it paid off for him. Yeah. But it is like it makes me think nobody wanted to make this. Like Universal bought it and then they're I think they had buyer's remorse. Well, I mean, think about it. this is well before, like I said earlier, right? This is well before Blumhouse and and um, dare I say, A twenty four, right? These studios that do take a chance on various types of horror. I'll say types of horror films. No one, no one, flame us later for A twenty four mentioning like if you like that type of horror, you like that type of horror. I don't really give a shit. Um, but you know they're out there. They do a good job of like giving people that chance, giving people that opportunity. Back then, you just had the big series. You had Universal. You had Warner Bros. not crashing and burning. You had Sony, right? Like, you had all these big studios. So, for them, they wanted proven directors. They were that. And as Universal has proven time and time again, um, until they finally teamed up with Blumhouse and got the picture with the Invisible Man, they clearly despised the horror genre with a passion. Um, as anyone who remembers a comment they said during the Mummy 2017's uh, lead up to release and why they won't make it in horror. That sucks because, you know, Universal owes everything, all of their success to the horror genre. And I wish they respected that, you know? It's it's not fair. Yeah. they Their their success is like New Line with like, um, right, I'm not fired, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, their whole success is based off the Universal movie monsters. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like they they're ashamed of that, which is insane to me. Like, why would their beloved films? Why would you not want to like put that front and center as your legacy? Because it's horror. It's not you know Gone with the Wind. It's not The Godfather. It's not insert any other prestigious American classic that has lots of Oscar attention here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. But I'd be inclined to put in the Wolfman any day of the week. To me, that is equal footing with films like Gone with the Wind and The Godfather. Well, I could watch Strackler, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Invisible Man. Oh, man. I could watch Invisible Man all day. Yeah. Claude Rains as Invisible Man is perfection. He is. Yeah. He's fucking scary in that movie. It's how psycho he is and what he's willing to do. I think he's got the highest body count of the entire he universe. Like a tra- he feels like a train of people at one point. Yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> um, so he did. He was like, fine. It feel- Brian Bertino, it sounds like he had no trouble at all getting this movie made. He's like, Here, somebody bought a script. They went to him to direct. 
He directed. It was a success. And Bob's your uncle. It's awesome. I like that move of, like, after two, both two directors turned down, they are like, hey, man, we need to direct. He just, like, goes, fine. I just picture him, like, complaining to a friend and just being like, I have so much money. It's driving me insane. It's like, I just don't, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't stop winning. The movie is a success. They want me to make, like, three more movies. I don't... What do they want me to do? Why do I, why does it have to be me? I mean, I have all this time to do the to do this. <laughs> I have like a proven track record. Why has it got to be me? <laughs> they they go into that. Hey man, so just we want to let you know we finally approved it. You got final cut. Oh, why? Why do you have to give me final cut? Like, come on, you give me all the options that, that I shot. Are you serious? <laughs> I would love if he is desperately trying to get out of this. But he can't. Like, he can't fail. He physically can't do it. Every time he tries, the movie gets better. <laughs> he thinks, okay, I'll just make a film straight for streamers. It'll be fine. Dark and the Wicked Shutter's like, hey, we'll bring it on. So he's like, oh, my God damn. Shutter. <laughs> oh, this was supposed to be quick. No one's supposed to see it. He sees reviews. He goes, fuck, people like it. Why do they like it? <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I I can't find any like roadblocks with, with this movie. It's just like everything worked out perfectly. <laughs> and it was a box office success. It's just it's awesome. I'm I'm glad for him. I just I love the idea that he doesn't want this. He's trying to get out of it. Um fun fact Saw Six director Kevin Grutert, who we recently talked about, edited the movie as well as the first five Saws. Didn't know that. But well, yeah. yeah, before he was a director, he was an editor. That's how he got Saw 6, because he was an editor for the Saw series. I love that. And he also edited The Strangers, which I'm sure is a big part of why, you know, a lot of modern horror fans love it. Yeah, the dude's a, a great editor, and I don't hold Saw 7 against him. There was some some production stress on that one. There's a lot of stuff going on that. That actually would make for a very interesting production history because of the time it came out. But uh, when he let him do his thing and he had free weight, uh, rain with like Saw 6, yeah, the guy can direct. He proved that he he took some notes from that editing room and he did knows how to direct. Yeah. I was just talking on Oscar Sunday last week how much I appreciate film editors and cinematographers who become directors because they have a much more you know, visual eye, I think, because they've assembled films, they've shot films, like they they know what they know the structure a lot, a lot more personally, I think. Mm, well, that's the difference. Like, any that's that's where you, uh, difference just like a director and one that has like a style that is instantly instantly recognizable, right? Like, you know, say what you will about like some of those controversies, like Rob Zombie. You know, it's a Rob Zombie film. He, he, he has his actor's accent right he's doing his shots like he has it all in his head how he wants it same with someone a little more celebrated like tarantino right you know it's tarantino home because he knows what he wants from the actors he knows what he wants from the shot even he i'm sure he knows what he wants at a time before it hits editing so he knows like um what you know as they're shooting how that's going to get edited i'm sure it's all playing out in his head that's just how some of these directors work. And yes, when you get someone that's like an editor or like a cinematographer, they have that visual eye already. So now they just have the part of like, how do we talk to an actor to get the performance that we want? And once they get that, yeah, they can rule as director big time. 
you know, I, I was watching a kind of a did you know uh, video about Inglorious Bastards. I found out Tarantino was this close to canceling the entire project because he couldn't find an actor to play Landa the way he wanted. Like he needed to find not only a great actor, but somebody who was fluent in English, French, German, and Italian. And he almost gave, he gave himself a week. He's like, if I can't find it by the end of the week, I'm not doing this movie. And he stumbled onto Christoph Waltz and you know, the rest is history, but this, we almost didn't get Inglorious Bastards because he couldn't find somebody like Christoph Waltz. I just, I, I, I can't believe everything worked out. That is amazing. Holy shit. <laughs> he was just willing to be like, you know, cut, moving on. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't like how like his more recent films have con- almost consistently been close to not happening. It's almost like he doesn't need to do this. He's like, you know, fuck it. If this doesn't work out, I'll write something else brilliant. Yeah, like Inglorious Bastards was that close to ha- not happening. Hateful Eight almost didn't happen because the script leak. Yep. And then, you know, Time in Hollywood almost didn't happen because he had a big old, the whole thing with the Weinsteins and having to change companies and stuff like that. Like, what is going on with his last couple of films? Any sort of, like, setback, no matter how minor, Tarantino is just, like, this close to jumping off the cliff. It's it's kind of crazy. It reminds me of myself when I have my easily easily snappable moments. Yeah, so takes that one. It's not a brag. Takes that one little thing for everything in my head to just get wired into anger. Oh boy, yeah. Just thought that was that was interesting. Um, The Strangers has an IMDb score of six point one. Rotten Tomatoes score of 48%. So obviously the critics were like, blah, no, not my kind of movie. Blah. Not my kind of horror movie. In fact, here's the critics' consensus. I thought this would explain a lot of what where the critics are coming from. The Strangers has a handful of genuinely scary moments, but they're not enough to elevate the end results above standard slasher fare. Hmm. First of all, it's not a slasher film. It's a home invasion film with some slasher elements here and there. Yeah, I love that they're wrong. Like, it's not a slasher movie. It's like, that's why. Yeah. It's a a home invasion movie. Also, elevate the end results. It's like, why do you need this movie to be like, you know, the 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 next greatest yeah, like what? Oh, okay, God, they they anger me so much. Uh, like, look, the Bertino started make a home invasion film, and he made a damn good one that works on a lot of levels. I think most don't. Yeah, I agree, but it wasn't enough for them. Uh, so despite well, all, they can go fuck themselves. Yeah. They can, despite their, you know, the critics being like, why would anybody watch this? It was a huge hit, grossing 82 million on a budget of only 9 million, which is bonkers. Like, well done, Bertino, for a first time filmmaker. Like, good job. <laughs> uh, also spawned a sequel with more in the works as we speak. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. Some of these horror films that they're like, critics just like me. I'm like. And then you'll hear it's like it's their, like the Bill Rush Project, their first movie that they shot for a couple thousand and made fucking millions off that movie. 
this it all reminds me of um there was an episode of the fairly odd parents remember that show yeah i used to watch it there was one where uh timmy turner wished for all of his emotions to be gone so he was just this blank slate that like wasn't responding to anything and his crush like walked up to him and was trying to get a rise out of him and she went like i'm ignoring you and he didn't say anything she went i said i'm ignoring you and he said nothing and she's like stop ignoring me ignoring you like that's what these people remind me of it's like critics saying you know don't see that why aren't you not seeing it like, why are you letting it make money like <laughs> god and then they have like those periods where you can tell the critics are just angry like all of the 80s with the slashers and then all of the 2000s with the torture porn where the critics were just like why do you people like this and honestly fuck you we like it and it's making millions because of it real quick i just i need to know what roger ebert thought of this movie i'm gonna look up his review i feel like he what if he hated it but then had that turnaround that he does sometimes on films one and a half out of four stars (laughs) oh boy yeah he was not kind no, he never is if he doesn't like a horror film. Like he acts like it hurt him. Listen to this. So I thought Brian Bertino is a kid. This is his first movie. And as much as I hate it, it's a competent movie that shows he has the chops to be a director. So I gave it one and a half stars instead of one. Still harsh, yes. I think a lot of audience members will walk out really angry at the ending. Although it has a certain truthfulness and doesn't cheat on the situation that has been building up. Yeah, because it's pretty well written. That's what that means. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. You just basically complimented and then said, but it sucks. Yeah, the ending really doesn't portray the film that I got, and it adds the realism, and um, it's a logical conclusion, but I hate it. Like, wait, what? Nothing that you said just makes sense. This is so... His review is very much like he doesn't want to admit that it's pretty good. He's like refusing. He keeps pointing out things that are good, right? Great about the movie, but then following it with, but it's a shit movie. It's like, buddy, pick a lane, commit to one or the other. Stop trying to, you know, middle ground this shit. Like, just just admit you like the horror movie. (laughs) Can you imagine if I just like like started talking highly about like a movie or video game or something like that? I got like, yeah, but it it was pretty shitty. It's weird. It's like, who are you trying to impress? I I never understand that. It's like. Who's going to get pissed off that you enjoyed a horror movie? It's like, there's, there's nobody, nobody cares. No one cares. Some, I mean, you get the occasional person's like, how can you watch this? I listen, I'm like, nah, I, can't I don't, if, count, if, I don't if, count them among people. So nobody cares. Jesus, you monster. Yeah, there's certain, certain traits to me lower you to the bottom of the barrel when it comes to human beings and not letting people enjoy things is right at the top of that list <laughs> i mean that's fair that's a fair one like you know i i have my problems with the strangers i think it's a good movie and i know you think it's a great movie i'm not going to try to knock you down to my level because you like it a little bit more than i do <laughs> yeah i mean i'm going to definitely try to raise you up to my level yeah, that makes sense. Like you have an argument to do that. I do not have fucking any argument to do the opposite. Yeah, that would be oh, just cruel. That'd be me trying to take something away from you. I'm just hearing on. So I really like this. That seems stupid. 
just every second you have. Imagine how fucking mean spirited this show would be if that's all it was. Just you guys being like, that movie was great. And me just being like, no, it wasn't. Like every time, just be like, no, it's shit. Regardless of the movie, I just plant my feet in the sand and refuse to give. Yeah. We would not have made it this far. I really like the performances. They were pretty bad. I don't know what you're talking about there. That would suck. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to be a part of that show. I really like the girl on that scene. Excessive. Did we need to see that? Do you really need to see that? (laughs) I thought Uh, that trap pretty cool in Saw. It was redundant. Why do you like Saw? Who likes Saw? Like, just make it as personal as possible. Right? Oh, you read Goosebumps as a kid, so that's why you like this shitty movie? Wow. Okay. This hypothetical version of myself is actually making me really sad. <laughs> I just, I sound like such a prick. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hurting me to keep going on this. I know, like, it's oh, like, this. Jesus, I don't want to ever do that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Okay, let's get into the, the, the film itself, The Strangers. I love how this film starts out as the aftermath of a proposal turned down. Like, just already giving us this kind of, you know, troubled relationship that usually we don't start out with that kind of turmoil. And I, I like that. And we never really, you know, it's all just shown, not really dialogue heavy which i also appreciate i was actually i had that was one of the first notes i wrote down too is like usually you see like a family or they just may said yes to the marriage or something you know i mean something happy joyous happened and then it gets shattered whereas this you actually get a very a couple we were like oh you could cut like the the air is this so thick with tension when you first meet them you know like okay something's up like they are they don't have to say words, but you're like something. They're they're not happy with each other. Well, when we first meet them, like they're in the car, and you can see like you know lingering tears in Liv Tyler's eyes. You're like something happened. Yeah. And also, I find it kind of funny and ironic that before these psychos even show up, this is the worst day of their lives. <laughs> yeah. When <laughs> I. <laughs> That's funny. I think what I like about it too is that to me, in a weird way, it makes it more realistic. To me, I feel like we're watching an actual couple, um, and one hitting a like you said a rough patch in a relationship where they, as we come to learn, um, that he proposed to her at the wedding. Which, by the way, like, got people, guys, gals, mm-hmm. proposing at a wedding, fucking stop it. Okay, like that's not your day. Just propose elsewhere. Not your fucking day. Jesus Christ. Um, your bridesmaid don't wear white and don't propose at somebody else's wedding yeah just basic shit (laughs) yeah nah but other than that right she said no and that's what this rift is kind of coming on they're uncertain about their future and all that stuff and lo and behold as we learned he got the house with the the rental house in hopes she would have said yes so it would have been like a romantic getaway thing on top of it so he had it all planned out it all shatters horrendously to the point that i like the little reverse where i said the lady getting the the uh tub of ice cream to eat in sadness the guy gets it and also bluebell shout out oh yeah um i knew you were gonna bring that up <laughs> yep bluebell 
Pluto makes me happy. <laughs> um, and it is just awkward to be surrounded by, you know, rose petals and champagne and just the night that was supposed to be the beginning of the rest of your life and you just got shot down, but then you still have to take her home. <laughs> it's like, ouch. Yeah. Just twisting the knife in further. Like, ouch. Yeah. And then what I like is when you have a moment, you finally have the moment that they say, okay, let's, the emotions get a little high, they decide to get a little frisky, a little passionate. I like how we have more you're thinking, oh, okay, they're going to have their moment and finally kind of talk this out and see where to go from here. And as soon as they get ready to do that, the knock that begins, the rest of their night begins. So even when the movie gives you like a quick moment to show like maybe they'll go have passionate sex and they'll work it out, it's quickly taken. Yep, that was that was hope. It got snatched away, and he just, you know, you can't you, you can't stay hard in that situation. I'll just say that. Um, but that'd be that would be weird if for the rest of the movie he just was rock hard. Yeah, like Michael Bay, just rock hard at all times. <laughs> It'd be funny if like the strangers were like they got they got distracted and they're like, dude, what is that? <laughs> like they just had a moment of like, that's that's not right, man. <laughs> You know what? We'll just go to a different house. <laughs> it saves their lives because <laughs> they got creeped out. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so James just goes for a drive after uh, the girl at the door is like, "Is what is it? Is Tamara home?" Yeah. And then she just walks away, and he apparently didn't see anything wrong with the situation, and just leaves no. her, leaves uh, Liv Tyler at the house. To just yes, well, would you, you know what I liked about that, and I, I know this time, and I, what I love about this film, it never fully shows her face at any point. It keep it makes the strangers who, by the way, are human. These are just regular human people doing this. What I like is to give them an air of menace and threat. You never see their face fully. You get a little brief, like maybe a side glimpse of something. And that's about it. What I like here is like it's kind of indicating that she busted their fucking light because. It's just darkness, and all you you kind of see only a little bit. And her hair's covering more of her face with the whole camera home, and you just turn the light on and start turning on. So it's kind of thought like fuck, she probably busted their light before she knocked. Yeah, probably. Um, and yeah, I, the uh, the decision not to show their faces that was that was conscious. That was almost not the fact. They almost had a climax where like they took off their masks and they fought our heroes. But I think uh, either Kevin Gruder or uh, Bartino were like, nah, let's let's ease that back, and that was the right call. Yeah, oh, we'll we'll get to that ending. I I adore the ending to this film so much. Did you watch the unrated cut or the theatrical cut? Unrated. I have it on Blu-ray, so I always watch the unrated cut now. Okay, my DVD had the unrated cut too, and it was like three minutes longer. So I was like, fuck it, he probably watched this one too. I was right. <laughs> if it's ever an option, I will always watch the unrated cut. Yeah, me too. Um, when Liv is Liv Tyler's alone, someone starts banging on the door, and that's when shit really starts getting out of control. It does we and we get one of the most classic scares in this sequence when she's home alone? Oh, that yeah. When the guy just appears in the background, he's never mentioned. The camera's not zoomed in on him. You might not even notice it unless you know your eye drifts in that direction. 
And once yeah. you do notice it, you're just like, your first thought is probably like, how long has he been standing there? <laughs> yes. And and this is what I'm talking about where like he knows when to use jump scares and not use them. And I love that this is not a jump scare. It's she's doing her thing and you just see no music scene, no nothing. It's just a stranger come out of the shadows and stand there and complete just right. Like all she has to do is turn around and he's there. She's going to see him. And you just stand there watching her. And I, and again, I love that kind of thing of letting the audience see it. And I just be like, oh, shit, why? There's a dude right there in your house. It's like, turn. And then I'm sure, like, again, it's, this would speak to a great theater experience. I'm sure you get a good theater crowd. You get tons of people being like, turn around, just turn around. Yeah, I bet the collective <gasps> was probably pretty high when, when the strangers came out. Yeah. Um, One thing I really liked was when these strangers are formally introduced and they you know start trying to break into the house the record that's playing starts skipping and just is stuck on this one spot and it gives this insane sense of disorientation that i really thought was cool yeah well i like the building um like kind of what you were talking about the, the building confusion to go with the terror i like guess building you into getting to their headspace their main character's headspace of like what is going on when like you know she opens the window the dude's just standing there at the window we do get that good jump scare and you know they're banging on a bunch of stuff to freak her out like that rising tension of just like you fill it with her like oh my god i'm getting more and more stressed like what is going on why are what are they doing all this for yeah well and the little little things like you know her phone's gone and that just tells you that like they've been in the house and it's that's that's creepy alone. Like they could just go in there and kill her, but it's not about killing them. It's about scaring them, scaring them for the night before they finally kill them. Yeah, getting all those fear juices out. Then uh, James comes back and is like, "What's going on?" And she's like, "There's somebody in the house." And he's like, "The hell you say?" Like he's very much just like, "No, come on, you're just you've just got post turning me down hysterics." <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, "Look, you already turned me down." Like. No, whatever you want, I'm done. I don't need to try anymore. <laughs> On my first viewing of this, I thought for a second, like he set this shit up because she turned him down. <laughs> but oh god, that had been a wild twist. Yeah, that's what I thought the first time I saw. Or like this is a prank by uh Mike. Was it Mike okay. or Matt? Oh, uh the Golden God? Yeah. Was it Mike or Matt? <laughs> I don't remember. I uh, it was Mike. Okay. But uh, can you imagine if like any of this, like they just cut his rope, cut him free. He just gets up and tells her like, this is what happens when you turn me down. Jesus Christ. Good call. Like that was the right decision then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought maybe this is like a, a prank by Mike and he was going to get up at the end and be like, you know, gotcha. <laughs> happy, am, happy marriage. <laughs> I am the golden God. You think a shotgun can take down a golden god? <laughs> I'm a five-star man. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but no, James is just like, you're crazy. Clearly, you are crazy. The idea that anybody could be out here is insane. Why are you doing this to me? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he says. <laughs> There's a lot of animosity on James's side, understandably so. <laughs> yes. He's a little on edge for, I feel like, good reasons. Again, though, don't propose at someone's fucking wedding. Yeah. And also, you should probably talk about marriage. 
uh, before you just spring that shit on, on your partner. That's a mutual decision that should be talked about. You know, do you even want to get married is something you should ask your partner before you just, you know, spend 20 grand on a ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would probably have a discussion first. Yeah. But that's not how things work in movies. People don't talk. Communic- Honestly, I think every every conflict in every film ever made could be easily solved by communication. Uh, yeah, because most people I know will actually like bring up that. Not saying like, what do you think about your marriage? They'll bring up like, so what's your thoughts on marriage stuff? Most long-term covers, it gets talked about at some point, like thoughts on marriage and kids and things like that. I mean, if if James and Kristen have been together for like three months, then I totally understand Kristen turning him down. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. But if yeah. this is like a two and a half, three year relationship and it's going nowhere, y'all should have talked about this. <laughs> uh, so they decide after Mike realizes like his phone's missing and then it's, you know, in the house and he has this moment of like, oh, shit, maybe she's right. <laughs> uh, they decide to leave. They get in Mike's car, which is fucked up. And they're effectively uh, fast people here. <laughs> yeah. They try to drive away, and the pickup truck shows up out of nowhere and just stays there. I also love that you, you don't really know how many are there until the end when it's, you find out it's three moving really fucking fast. Yeah. Well, I, I like how the film does that. Like, they constantly does not ever show them until, like, the, the end was the end. They finally start showing all of them. You get by, and I'm like, okay, that's how many there are. But first, you're like, how many people are there? Because you just keep popping up new ones. They're popping in, out, in and out of the shadows. And you're just like, how many people are in on this right now? Because I keep seeing someone new almost every time. Yeah. And they like there's moments like when um James is in the car, like looking for his phone, and somebody taps his shoulder and he turns around immediately and they're fucking completely gone. Like, how are they so fast? They're 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 speeding. So now if I tap someone's shoulder, you're gonna see me run away. I'm slow as shit. I mean, these guys have got to be like, you know, fucking Usain Bolt, like just like out of no it's insane it's impossible they all the flash they've got to be they can't be human they got to be like fucking you know murder ghosts or something uh, so yeah the pickup truck shows up slams mike's car still looks drivable but they they bolt they bolt uh isn't it it's later is on fire right that's, that yeah, they that. don't. They don't put it on fire later. I, I honestly, I would have not cared about my yard or anything. I would have done whatever his uses that car to get out of there. Yeah, <laughs> like, they, they make a lot of dumb decisions. Like when they just decide to uh, split up because James is going to go for the radio, and just you just sit right here quietly, and I'll be back. Like, are you ab- out of your fucking mind? <laughs> just stay in the house. They have totally not been in and out of already. Probably for the layout, based off how they've been acting. And then uh, they find a shotgun, which is convenient. And Mike shows up to pick up his best friend, who's going through some shit. And Mike is bitter about it, but he did show up. He did go. <laughs> I, I I mean, he, he pretty much sounds like how I would be, which would be like, I'd be bitching, but I'd do it. He did remind me of you quite a bit. That's exactly what you would say to me if I called you and told you to come get me. At four in the morning, you'd be like, I'll, I'm coming, but I'm going to I'm not going to be happy about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm doing it. Cause you're my friend, but I'm pissed now. <laughs> yeah, he just goes in the house. He, he's a little wary. He's not very good at his peripheral. And he takes a shotgun to blast to the face. 
And James has this moment of like, oh my God, I killed my best friend. And then immediately he's like, okay, refocus. We got to get out of here. <laughs> he doesn't really grieve that that much. Oh, oh. Now I'm just thinking when the gang tries to go see the movie, I'll come back for you. I love you. Just he yelled that to his dead friend. Oh, and he just the body just sits there the rest of the movie. I I find that unnerving. Yeah. Well, what I like, what I actually do, like Hunter was talking about that scene. I like how again the use of like not doing a jump scare, but you see without warning the stranger come up behind him with the action. Like, oh god damn it! But then you know he gets shot with a shotgun. You're like, oh well, oh, oh not see that part coming. You get that Merle Haggard song playing that just. I don't know. It was a good soundtrack choice. Something about that song really amped up the tension. I don't really know why, but it worked. Yeah. Uh, one of my beefs with the movie is I wanted more scenes like that. I think I wanted more characters so we got more like more deaths. Like I wanted more I wanted more murder. Sounds like the sequel is like right up your alley basically. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. So far, everything you're describing, like the sequel does that. <laughs> I watched the sequel for sure. Um, yes, yeah, so they split up. James disappears for quite some time. I had a feel, I had a moment of like, did I did I fall asleep and forget that he died, or like where did he go? And then he shows up at the end, tied up. Yeah, yeah, he kind of disappears, and you're like, where do you go? And then you're like, oh, oh, there he is. He's not looking too good right now. Would love to have seen what he was up to. That would have been nice. No one wants to know what Scott Speedman is up to, okay? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Burn like it. Uh and live fucking break like like sprains her ankle. Are you kidding me? Like she falls off of curb and is like, fuck. <laughs> the worst possible time to just not look where you're going in a forest. Right? Like, god damn it. I mean, and I get it. Realistically, if you're in a forest, it's only almost pitch black out there. You're not going to see shit, but god damn it. Worst time. And then she crawls around the rest of the movie. I found that kind of funny. She's just like, she's not hopping. She's just like, like she's a nom. Just crawling around looking for Charlie. <laughs> They're in the trees. You gotta crawl. Yeah. And it's uh, ultimately, you know, we don't get a happy ending. We get Stabby. But we get before we get stabby, we get one of the greatest motivations in the history of horror cinema. Might be the greatest motivation if you ask me. The immortal line when they finally ask them, Why are you doing this? And you know, any horror fan myself included was getting ready to roll their eyes, like, oh god, we're gonna get a stupid fucking explanation for why they're doing this like they do in every fucking horror movie and instead they look at them and go because you were home it's it is great but i would have loved if like one of the girls took off their mask and it was mike's wife and he she was like because you proposed at my wedding <laughs> you stole my thunder Kristen. You and james stupid, you stupid bitch <laughs> jesus but yeah i do love that just the randomness, the absolute lack of actual motivation, just that one. Like, why not? It's so unnerving and creepy and really hammers home how real this feels. Is That is most of the time how it is. It's like, you know, the psycho doesn't need a reason to break into your house. He just needs opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what makes it more, 
what I love about that so much is that it is this is a film that really tries to capture as realistic as possible a home invasion of this caliber. Obviously, I don't know many home invasions of this caliber happening. Not anymore. Happened quite a bit in the 60s. Right. But like, you know, these, you know, it's it tries to keep it realistic and to handle that home with that's not get And I think actually in the original, they did have motive. And I think it changed throughout the process to what we got. Thank God. Um, cause yeah, I, I would honestly all this is, I don't know if it's my, the best motivation of all time, but it's top five material for me. Like those words have lived on regardless of what people think of this movie that, that has lived on for, you know, since the film came out, people, when you say that line, people are like, oh yeah, the strangers, like, it's just an iconic piece of dialogue. It hammers on that realism and that nihilism that this film goes for, um, because it's 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 literally them looking at those people in the face saying, "We don't have a reason. We don't we don't know you. We don't we're not even from here. We just you answered the door. We took the opportunity. We yeah. have a reason for this. We just opportunity rose. Luck of the draw. And then they just you know they stab everybody and drive off and run into those Christian missionaries and take a pamphlet. I love the they're like, well, it'll be easier next time now that we have this. Yeah, like Jesus. <laughs> and then those kids. Hmm? I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I like that little line. And again, you know, not showing their their face the whole time. So you're just like, who are all these people? Now you got it a little. I don't know if Christians do the white shirt and bicycle thing I and mean, that's more of a mormon jehovah's witness thing i don't know if christians do that too uh i want to say more of a uh, mormon jehovah's witness thing i don't know many christians that do that yeah the christian missionaries usually don't use bicycles they use airplanes and build their churches in foreign lands but um yeah no kid on a bike is gonna pull that off but these kids were all up to the house and see all the death and the blood and they're freaking out and then Liv tyler wakes up and grabs one of them and then got the black yeah, I love that. Again, not giving you that moment of like, oh, maybe she's going to like, we don't. Did she have like a last moment and then still die because she got stabbed a lot? Or was she able to, you know, I mean, obviously this well, sequel came out, survive and ID them. So they did take their mask off before they did it, which again, and I caught that speaks to the realism. And what I like is that it's that moment of them taking their mask off of them explaining motive says so much about them that I didn't even think about until I watched this last time. And that before that they they hid behind the mask to and and get the fear out of them to get, you know, to play their game per se that they were playing. And then when you get to the end, they finally get their motive and they take their mask off. So I'm sort of saying, now you're gonna see our face because we don't care because we're about to kill you. Yeah, you're not gonna say anything. <laughs> it's yeah, creepy. Yeah, it's almost like you know the whole. And you hear all times of movie, right? It happens in every movie. Oh, we don't have to tell anyone, blah blah. You know, it's like we'll just we won't say anything. We swear. In this case, it's almost like we're just avoiding that. They're like, you're right. We could just walk away because you didn't see our face. You're not gonna know who we are. But then they take it off, and it's almost like we're saying like, but now you have, and now we have to kill you. And isn't that just a son of a bitch? I, I love it, but I also would love if just once somebody did say, like, you know, I won't say a thing, I promise. And they just stop and they're like, you promise? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to hold you to that. And they just let them go. 
yeah, I mean, we got a version of that with Summer of 84, which is one of my other oh. favorite endings of all time. God, if you guys haven't seen Summer of 84, you'll watch that, especially if you, like, you've been big on Stranger Things, you'll watch it like, okay, it's something that I haven't seen on Stranger Things, just, this is rated R and embracing an R rating. And then you get to that ending, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Summer of 84. Yeah. I um, won't kill you, but I will. I will let you go to live in fear and know that I'm out there. Oh God, that's unnerving shit, man. It's yeah, writing the good villains is difficult, but when you pull it off, it's the best fucking feeling. Yeah. Um. I also this made me realize I haven't seen Liv Tyler in a long time. She pops up and stuff randomly, and then like. I don't know. Maybe she's in the new Lord of the Rings show. I don't know. I I doubt it. Uh, maybe I, she, I think it'd be cool if you know one of the Stranger sequels focuses on her. Like you know, they find out she's alive and they go after her. She teams up with the survivors of the Stranger's Prey at night. I don't know. Could be a cool movie. Legacy Legacy sequel even for the Strangers still going strong. I mean, that film's fourteen years old. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, it's it's time. Like oh, an, a legacy sequel could happen. <laughs> oh god damn it. Maybe Scott Speedman's in a coma and he comes out of it. No one wants Scott Speedman. <laughs> <laughs> Even Underward went, yeah, we're good. We don't need to bring him back. I think they got like a look-alike briefly for Underworld 4 when he gets killed at the beginning. Yeah, I think for that and Blood Wars, they got like a look alike. So we're like, should we ask him? They're like, nah, she can't look like. Let's not ask him. <laughs> I don't know where the this kind of weird hatred for Scott Speedman came from, but for some reason, I just I get it. <laughs> it's like Rob Riggle and uh, Step Brothers with the whole like. There's just something about your face. <laughs> I do anything about that? No, no, you can't. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Here are some film guys and facts for the strangers. Number one, before filming any scene after the strangers begin terrorizing the couple, Liv Tyler would have to run laps, do jumping jacks and other physical activities to get her out of breath to help simulate the panic her character would have been experiencing. I mean, yeah, or you could just, you know, act like you're out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> See, I didn't just run a mile. That was me acting like I was out of breath. <laughs> it's not that hard. God, actors, man. We That's need insane. To, we need them to believe our performance. I'm like, ah, Liv Tyler, I'm, you're not exactly one of my most favorite actors of all time. Like, no offense. I'm not saying you're bad. You're just, I mean, okay, good for you. I love all the bridges you're burning here. It's great. Uh, all right. Scott Speedman will never talk to us. Liv Tyler will never talk to us. I'm fine with that. I'm I, anything I've seen with Liv Tyler is mostly because I think she's hot. Fair enough. Um, this yeah, that reminds me. I know I've told this story on one of the shows. I've probably told it a couple times. I just fucking find it so funny, and I'm going to keep telling it. It was on the set of Marathon Man, and it was uh, Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier. Hoffman had to act like he just ran three miles. So, being Dustin Hoffman, he went and ran three miles. And uh, he had to act like he was out of breath. So he was, you know, he looked out of breath and Lawrence Olivier just went up to him and said, you know, next time you could try acting. <laughs> next time we could try your job. 
Yeah. Like, ah, way to get verbally bitch slapped by maybe the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> uh, number two. I do say he could act. <laughs> but I wonder about that. Like, would anybody really be able to tell the difference from, you know, doing jumping jacks and then being out of breath or just acting like you're out of breath? If you're a good actor, no. <laughs> if you can act, no. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> She's like, I don't know how to do it. I, I got to actually do it. What's my motivation? Um, <laughs> Over two, the film was shot entirely with handheld cameras or steady cams. Every shot has some camera movement. That's impressive. Just, just okay. Nice. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. As you can tell, there were not a lot of spicy trivias for this movie. So we're going with camera angles. <laughs> I see. Um, number three, I actually thought this was pretty funny. Many theaters across the United States were sent faulty reels of the movie containing sound problems, which made a few minutes to several scenes of the movie filled with nothing but static. Most audiences did not realize the sound was a problem since the dark overtone and loud background music in some scenes make the static seem like it was just part of the movie. So people, a lot of people watched this fucked up and didn't realize because they were like, oh, that's a very cool artistic decision. I mean, admittedly, this is one of those horror films that does what I hate, which is the dialogue is fucking silent as all get out. But then, like, all the sound effects are like a gun just went off in your house. Like, they are loud compared to the talking levels. You know, what that's what happened with subtitles. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I wonder if that, I wonder, I need to watch Axon Home video because I don't know about you. Um, but when I saw it in theaters, there was at least like three scenes where like Ty West, like I thought artistically went to black for like a couple of minutes, <laughs> like just a black screen, but you could hear stuff happening in the background. I'm like, is I remember the first one, like, is the print messed up or is this like an artistic choice in the movie? That I recall that too. So that might have been an artistic choice. I highly doubt we both got fucked up copies, but maybe I don't know. These days, I really can't tell. Like everything's a lie. <laughs> like that show on, you know, it's like that show on Netflix. Everything is cake or something. It's like, oh. how do you know? Every, maybe everything is cake. Oh god, that's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down right now. <laughs> there was one sequel, 2018's "The Strangers Pray at Night," which follows a family of four in a mobile home park being stalked by our three masked killers. There's another sleeper hit. Has since gained a cult following. Uh, there's pretty some bit of a mixed divide on this, but the people who like it do like it, and the people who hate it won't shut the fuck up about how much they hate it. I've noticed that. Yes, as most people are apt to be like nowadays, but internet being such a thing. God bless you, Express. Hey, I like this film. About twenty, at least twenty comments going. Oh, how could you like this? The script was horrible. Dialogue was trash. Characters were terrible. Wasn't even scary. There was no like, oh my god, man. Like he liked it. Okay, move on. Yeah, I wish we were more I wish we were more like that as a society. Just let people enjoy their own stuff. Not everybody has the same taste. Just go away. Yeah, like guess what? I am seriously perplexed as to why I'm seeing so many things. All oh, my horror groups I'm in. 
praising the curse. I'm sitting there on every single one going, did we watch the same film? Because that shit blew like ass. But yeah. do I sit there and comment and like, no, I'm like, you know what? They liked it. I clearly I am in a minority and I'm just, I'm cool with it. I don't care. I'm with you on that one. I fell asleep a few times during the cursed. That was that was difficult. It was a tough one to get through. Yeah, did not care for that movie. Uh, I give the strangers a seven. It's a good flick. There are a lot of lulls, some moments that are kind of dull, and I, I wish there was more happening. Uh, but apparently that's what part two is. So and if you would want to watch the sequel, um, I'm going to move it up to its rightful place of eight. Sounds a little bit harsh for this wonderful film. Um, okay, but no, uh, for me, it's an eight. I, I, this is to me one of the most effective home invasion films. And I think for me, I see what you mean by the there is like you know, it's only two characters, and you got it does take a bit to get to the good stuff. But again, I really appreciate the approach to just being as realistic as possible, even going so far as pull that Texas Chancel Massacre trick and have a narration going over home invasions and this is based on true events like yeah obviously that's we're stretching credibility there but just using that to establish like some sort of realism and um readiness that this film goes for or falsely all the way again to the end that just iconic you know because you were home line like yeah i just i really really enjoy this film yeah and that's cool that's good uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out and talk about, you can send us messages there, or you can send us an email at filmgasm at gmail.com. Check out our website, filmgasm.com. We've got articles, reviews, and trailers of upcoming movies, as well as all of our episodes. If you want to support the show through Anchor, you can click on support this podcast on your preferred provider. We appreciate anything you feel like we deserve. Next week, we're staying in the home invasion subgenre with a Shudder original from last year, For the Sake of Vicious. A tired nurse returns home to find a psycho holding, ho- holding a hostage in her house. Soon after, a gang of violent intruders descend upon her home, forcing her into a fight for survival. I haven't seen this one yet, but I know you did, Caleb, and you weren't that impressed. Yeah, it was a it was a decent enough like I think it was like a six or seven. I forget it's been so long, but you know it has its moments with like definitely its moments with the gore and stuff. But like there's some the story structure that really was hard to get into. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was decent enough. Not something I'm going. I'm rushing to see again, but we'll we'll see what you think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to something new, and you know, it's not my it's not my call. It's 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 the randomness of of the book, and I I do like that. But as I've often said in the past, the book giveth and the book taketh away. So we will see. Um, well, yeah. take it away from you, but yeah, <laughs> don't miss the Netflix action disaster Polar on Fridays Beyond the Bad, and the 1949 noir thriller The Third Man on Oscar Sunday. Until then, keep your doors locked and your phones charged. Keep watching movies.